Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Well, we figured this out earlier this week. Um, could tell God was doing something that I felt very clearly God was saying to give a message on the Great Commission. And when I say those words, put up your hand if you know what that means. When I say Great Commission, yeah, about the same ratio as the first service, like just over half. The, and I, the point is not to be able to say, oh, I know what the Great Commission is. The point is that we live it. That we could think we know what it means, but that we live it. And that I felt like God very clearly highlighting the Great Commission to, to speak about it today. And then we realized that, oh, we're talking about the new mission trips and announcing that this week, and it's all just coming together. And so clearly, this is something that God is always highlighting to us now, but have careful ears to hear what he's saying in this moment. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, there were multiple things he said to his disciples. If you read Matthew and Mark and Luke, each one, he says something different. John too, actually. He says something different, but all of those were commissionings. But when we think of the Great Commission, typically people are thinking of the one that's from Matthew, and that's the one we're going to read from Matthew 28. These are the very, very last words before he goes up to the right hand of the Father in heaven. So obviously they're important, and he was saying these words to say, what I'm telling you right now, this needs to be fixed on your mind. Don't lose sight of this until I return. We'll see that he's even saying that in it. So let's just listen for what God wants to tell us about our lives and what this means right now for us as disciples of Jesus or people who are even just curious about him as we read this. So starting from verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are so many different sermons that are contained within these words. But what I want to focus on is what Jesus is actually telling us to do and then the things he's saying surrounding that. So to break it down into three, the things he actually tells us is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that he commanded us. And the name of this message is teaching them all that I've commanded you, to obey all that I've commanded you. All that he commanded us. When we think of the Great Commission, oftentimes we think of the mission trips that we've got coming up next year, like going to the southern Philippines and doing a crusade there where someone will share about the gospel and then go, okay, great, we've done the Great Commission thing, we've taught people. But if it's just part, that's not all. And obviously it's not like once we become a Christian, it's like, okay, I've learned it, got it? I'm just going to go teach other people now, now that i figured this thing out. No, all of us are progressively being taught all that he commanded us. We might even hear it all, but applying it to our lives is a progressive thing. It doesn't happen at once. Our whole lives are set on this. And so there's a a, a kind of dichotomy I want to point out today. There's a tension and a relationship that we need to recognize between we need to go and tell people in other nations who've never heard about the message of God's kingdom. There are billions of people on the earth right now that that speaks about. That we're actually on the, today, there's a beginning of a time of prayer for Hindu people around the world, and it's also Diwali in India, or all, all the Hindu world. And there are, in India, more than a thousand distinct 
people groups, which is actually the word he's using for all nations. Those nations aren't like countries like oh, Ghana or France or the Philippines. Not those countries. People groups is what he's talking about. He's talking about if you go to the Syrophoenicians who happen to be within the Roman Empire, those are still a people group. And so there's something for us to understand in this that God is calling us to go to those people groups and yet at the same time, we, we ourselves need to be progressively following all that he commanded us, otherwise we're not equipped to do that. And so both are happening at once and every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple and therefore you're commissioned. Without exception. And what that commissioning is is something we have to figure out with God, but every one of us has the reference point of what I'm doing needs to play a part in the Great Commission. Thank God that there are people who go out, and I think more of us probably should, almost definitely should. And there are people here who are meant to stay here, to take care of people here. Because if the people who are going to get sent out are not brought to maturity, the disciples they make are going to be pretty poor disciples. And when we make disciples, we're not making disciples of ourselves. Paul talks about this. He's like, one follows Paul, another Apollos. He's like, don't follow me. Imitate me, perhaps. But I'm Im- imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. There's only one. So Jesus tells the disciples, make them obey all that I commanded you. You don't have a new teaching to bring to them. You're just learning my teaching and then giving it to them as well. You're living it. And so I want to give some examples of what that looks like for us. So starting with something from Matthew 7, starting verse 24. Jesus gives a sermon on the mount earlier in his ministry. And he says this. Everyone there who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Something that anyone who's ever tried to raise up disciples will recognize is like the parable of the soils talks about. Not everyone who hears the word of God receives it. And even among those who do receive it, not everyone stays in it. The role of making a disciple, just like Jesus did, is he took three years with the disciples. And they were, you read the Gospels, they were messy. It was an ugly process. One moment he's like commending them. The next moment he's rebuking them. He's awfully, I think, more often rebuking them. Like, Jesus says some really strong things to them, but because he was showing them, you need all of your life to be built on my teaching, not just what you have so far. And we're always continually in that process. And so that's why, I mean, you're not probably going to come to Christ and you're like one week old and it's like, all right, I'm a pastor. Who's next? Like, let's, no, it, it takes time. But it is true that, you know, you could be like, I'm only a few years old in faith, but there's someone who's, they just came to Jesus and I, I know things that they don't know, not about my own personal testimony, da, da, da. no, about what Jesus has taught me that's true for everyone. Amen. Like how many times it's easy at the beginning of someone's walk, okay, I was saved by grace, and then very shortly there, and they realize, I feel like I'm trying to get approval from God by doing good things now. And like you keep going just the way you started, letting you know, brother, that I, I fell into the same thing too, and I started to relating to God whether I did good things or not. We don't do that. So this is a process that we all have to go through. But what Jesus is telling us, essentially, the role of discipleship is to get someone's house or someone's life entirely built on Jesus' teaching in every area. And until that's the case, they are bound to fall. 
And an example I want to give of this is coming from the Old Testament, that Jesus said, my teaching. But when he says my teaching, he doesn't just mean me on the earth during this three-year period where I had public ministry. Jesus is God. So my teaching means the teaching of the scriptures. He was building on that. And so when Jesus talks about this, he's the fulfillment of all that the prophets, the law that Moses had, all that they longed for. And so what he's trying to define is you need to long for this teaching to be in you and a part of your life in every single way. And one of the best examples that we have in the Bible, possibly the most, is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. Basically, the whole chapter is 176 verses, and with a few exceptions, line by line, he's just using different synonyms with slightly nuanced different meanings to say, like, I'm just longing for God's word, and I'm longing to fulfill it, but I can't obey it. And I'll read it out to you so you just get the idea of what we're talking about. So starting from verse 1. Blessed are those who wait, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. That's just the first letter. Every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, he writes one of those four. That was Aleph. And every line that he writes in that block, it starts with that letter. So people think that he probably wrote this, the psalmist who wrote it, over the course of his entire life. And here exactly what Jesus is saying is kind of, there's a resonance there. I'm longing to fix my eyes on all your commandments. But there's also this cry of, God, I still can't keep all your commandments. I still keep falling short. So don't leave me. Don't leave me. I'm falling short. Please don't leave me. I want to do this. And that tension that we live in. And essentially what he's praying, Jesus answered. Jesus said, I'm going to give you grace to follow all my commands. I'm going to be with you. We'll get more into that in a moment. I want to get to verse 9, the beginning of the next section, Beth. When I was in uh, premarital counseling before Kate and I got married, I was struggling with the fact that I had been following Jesus for some time. I started following Jesus when I was 15 years old. And I thought, man, how come I've still really gone astray in some major areas at times in my life while walking with God? And at none of those seasons that I stopped reading the Bible, I did a Bible one year plan during that season and I was laughing with people in the first service. Many days I would like lay down and like read the Bible one year plan before I fell asleep. So it wasn't quality reading, but I was reading it. And I was still, I was praying, I was worshiping. I, I had encounters with God during that season. I saw God answer prayers during these times I'm thinking of. But there were still major areas where I went astray. And it bothered me because that the season ended, thankfully. But I went, well, God, like, I'm getting ready for marriage. And I don't want it to be that now I'm married and I do the same thing in some way that I'm completely oblivious to. And this now doesn't just hurt me. It hurts my wife. It hurts potentially our future children. So I need to figure this out with you. And my premarital counselors agreed. They're like, yeah, you, you need to do a sozo or something like that. You need to figure this out. <laughs> so I, I, did, I had done one. I did a second. Um, and I remember one time there after the first service, they had this, exis, this booklet I was kind of going through. Just to, it's like a prayer journal, just to pray with God about things. And I was praying about shame. And, and one thing that came up is I was just standing on the rooftop of my apartment. We had rooftop access. And I was just like talking to God about this. Help me. Just answer my questions, Lord. I don't get it. And this verse popped into my mind. It wasn't one that I thought of regularly. And it's this verse, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Remember when that popped into my head, I was like, that sounds like the Bible. I should look that up. Where is that in the Bible? 
As I looked it up, read it in its context. And what Jesus taught me in that moment was he was perfect. He never made a single mistake, faultless in every way. Yet he needed, needed, like he turned down opportunities to minister to people, needed to go be alone with his father and spend time in the word. When temptation came to him, we see this in Matthew 4, he didn't fight it by saying, that doesn't sit right with my conscience, or I had a vision that warned me you would say this, and actually I know that's wrong. He just quoted scripture back to Satan. He said, you told me this, but you're actually misinterpreting that verse, and you're using it out of context, or you're adding a word or taking something out. This is what the word says, and this is how I know it means, because this is what it says. It's very plain and simple. We fight temptation in the same way. Can I emphasize that enough? And so the way we're going to help other people fight temptation and follow Jesus and not depart from him will be the same way. The scripture, it is a wonderful thing to seek the spiritual gifts and have supernatural encounters with God. All of those things are for a purpose, one purpose, to point back to the truth. When Jesus did miracles, he taught alongside of it. And so this is what we have to recognize even as we seek more of God. We're seeking more of God so that we would actually live in accordance, to, accordance with his commandments. If our encounter with God doesn't produce that in us, then what was it really? Or are we really taking the fullness of what that was, or was it even God? That's what we need to think about. So going on even in verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Even starts the next section. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. That's him. God, deal bountifully with me. Deal well with me. How would you do that? That I, I would just be able to keep your word. That's the longing that God is emphasizing. That he will always answer. But the fascinating thing, too, is that when the psalmist says this all, he goes on for a long time. I'm not going to read out the whole psalm. It's like 16 and a half minutes. But getting to the end of this, in the last section, I'll read out from, psalm, uh, from verse 169. So spared you in between. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, for your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So this is probably the end of his life. He's been doing this for years. And he's kind of in the same place. <laughs> but he's grown at the same time in that like, you, you go through the psalm and he, he's matured and there's been times he's persecuted for it but he's decided he's going to obey God's word and it's basically this battle his entire life of I'm not going to stop fighting to be closer to God and I know I'll be closer to God when I live like him and the way we do that is never going to be our good works just like I mentioned earlier it's not that oh I'm just going to be a better person for you God I'm going to do the right thing now no we fix our eyes on he fixed our eyes on God's commandments we know the fulfillment of all the commandments is Jesus so coming back to the Great Commission, we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on our behalf, was buried. That's baptism. Paul says, when you're baptized, you're baptized into his death. And then when he was raised from the dead, he came out of the tomb, 
that's coming out of the baptismal pool, wherever it is, ocean, little hot tub we have here, doesn't matter. That's, that's coming out of the baptismal pool. That's what it represents. You were buried with Christ, now you're resurrected with him. You had an old life, now you have a new one. And so we live our life by faith in the Son of God who died, gave himself up for us. And so in the life we now live, we live because he lives. That's the whole point. And I'll read something about that later on that Jesus says. But so when we're thinking about, God, how can I keep your commandments? Because Jesus died on our behalf and rose on our behalf, now we live like him. And we have relationship with the Father. So we're buried and we come out just like Jesus when he's baptized. The Father says, this is my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. It says the same thing to you from there forward. No exceptions. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what God says to you every single day. And that identity and that revelation is what brings us into obedience to his commands. But if we really think, I'm God's son, I'm God's child, you know, I'm God's daughter, then it will make you want to live in a way that moves your father's heart. That's what it produces. That's the way we know we have faith because it changes us. And we know that that isn't complete until every single thing that Jesus taught about, that the scriptures teach about, has been fulfilled in our lives also. Don't be discouraged if that's still a longing you have years later on. It's driving us into his purity, his holiness, his likeness, and it's beautiful. But it feels like a struggle. That's all right. <laughs> so I even want to talk about the why is it different that what the longing he had, that we actually have more of a fulfillment of it, and so that's asking the question, why does Jesus emphasize what he longed for back in verse 8? And he said, I, do not utterly forsake me. God, I, I'm not able to keep all your commandments, but I want to. Don't leave me. Don't leave me like this. And Jesus says, behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age. We know the end of the age is actually when Jesus returns. So it's a kind of confusing thing for him to say in a way. It's like, I'll be with you until I come back. But obviously what he meant was the Holy Spirit, and that he being God is one. God has existed in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not baptized into many gods, just one God. And so we're baptized into all three, into that community. Jesus has brought us into it. But the Spirit now dwells in us to keep us in that identity so that we think like God, so we live like Jesus did. If any, anyone was in union with Christ, we will live as he did, 1 John 2, 6. So that's... That's the re revelation that we need to come to this morning is that if we want to complete the Great Commission, we have to live like Jesus. We can't just think we're going to go to places and tell them one thing and they're going to believe it. When they see it and we teach it, then they'll believe. And so reading from John 14, starting in verse 15, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we love the Holy Spirit, and we should, but we can think of the Holy Spirit's purpose and our lives wrongly. That we can think the Holy Spirit's purpose is to just bestow supernatural giftings or to give us an amazing feeling in worship or to tell us what job to take. Those are all things that God does through the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying, I'm sending the helper for this purpose so that when I'm gone physically, I'm actually going to be in you and when you want to follow me, you won't be left without someone to follow. You're not, I'm not leaving you as an orphan. You're going to have a relationship with my father just like I do and I'm in constant communion with him. The way I'm in constant communion with him is the exact same way you will be because his spirit dwells in me. Jesus was fully man. He did it the exact same way that we will do it. And so men, women alike, we get filled with the Holy Spirit once we believe in Jesus, buried with him in death and baptism, raised with him to new life. Now he's with us. Holy Spirit is here. But his purpose is not just to do supernatural things. His purpose is to tell us what Jesus had told us. So as we're following Jesus, we're doing it in a constant communion rather than just, all right, says I should do this today. Okay, strengthen myself. Okay, I'll strengthen myself in the Lord today. I don't know what that means or how it applies to my life, but I'll give it a shot. Jesus is going to tell us exactly how to do this through, that, through the Holy Spirit that's living in us. And so reading on from John 16, Jesus comes to say, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Do we believe that it's to our advantage that Jesus isn't here physically present in the room right now? Of course, it'd be different now because we actually have the Holy Spirit and he'd be here. So it is going to be better when he comes back later on. But when he was here the first time, it was actually more difficult to follow him than it is for us. Because he didn't live in the disciples when they were following him. That came after he resurrected. And he's saying, it is better for you. You will have a better relationship with my heavenly father if I live in you by my spirit than if I'm just here as your rabbi right now. That's why he had to be given all authority in heaven and earth, go up above all authorities, and then send down the Holy Spirit so that we could then make disciples of all nations in a way that we never could without him. Going on. Oh, lost my spot. Here we go. Um, that, yeah, to eventually I'll go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Oh, sorry. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has in mind has his mind. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is, again, the outline of the Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives, that Jesus had these two parts, John 14 and 16, where he talks about it. The Holy Spirit has come to give us the realization that we are dead in our sin apart from Jesus. 
to give us the revelation that we have an intercessor in front of God's throne because Jesus is there. To convince us that the ruler of this world, the one who ruled the world, Satan, after Adam and Eve sinned until Jesus rose from the dead, that he's been defeated now. That we actually have authority over him in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is here to remind us of those things. So when we go to a place and it looks like the devil just does whatever he wants to here. People hate things that the scripture teaches. They oppose it. They kill people who do it. Then we go, oh, this is actually already overcome. This is just a front. I can actually overcome this, not by anything in me, but because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, I have his spirit dwelling in me, and the rule of this world who's trying to pretend he rules over this place still, he's judged. So I'm just coming to pronounce what's already happened. And so I go to that place and I say, believe in Jesus, and not all will, but every nation, tribe, and tongue without exception will. There are more than a million Muslim people in the New York City metro area. And there are a lot of different people groups among that. There's Arab people, there's like Pakistani Urdu speakers, the people from all different groups. Every single one of those will have people who follow Jesus without exception. And if you're wondering, I really want to see people get saved. I want to see God's power at work. Go to them. Because we know God's working there. He's not coming back till that happens. If you go to your own community of people who you already know have some kind of Christian family line or they've heard of Christians and they're like friend group and stuff, you will see God work, but you don't have the guarantee that God is going to do groundbreaking things there in the same way. Doesn't mean don't go. It just means be careful that you're actually asking God, where are you sending me? Not just where is it easiest. And so this is what God's teaching us in this time. In the last hundred years even, like, uh, you know, my wife's family's Chinese heritage. The Chinese church is largely all just the last hundred years. You think about that. So what will the next hundred years look like for other nations? For places like India, like the Middle East. We need to believe that God's going to do something amazing there. And he's going to convict people concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So before we close, I want to give a summary of the things that God's told us in the Great Commission and understand our role. And also to give a very practical thing. Every single one of us is a disciple. Every single one of us is meant to be involved in the Great Commission, clearly. Within this church, there are a lot of people in need of discipleship in that all of us need discipleship. No exception. But the issue is if we think discipleship just comes from like, oh, this is the leader of a church and they're going to disciple me, we're neglecting what Jesus told us. He didn't tell the disciples, go and find leaders in churches and then get them to disciple some other leaders and those leaders will disciple. No, he said, go and make disciples. And those disciples are then meant to go and make disciples. And it goes on. That's a commissioning for every single one of us, without exception. It will look different. I work with international students. So unsurprisingly, I'm discipling international students. Many of you here probably are not. Doesn't mean you need to. Disciple the people who God's called you to go to. And be mindful that there is an element where Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So places that there is no one yet, go there. Because I actually have authority there. So ask God, he might be sending you out somewhere. Out to a different community, out to a different people, out to a different culture. Ask him that. But even if you go to that place, it's not going to start by, well, I'm the pastor of a church there and I lead this congregation. It's going to start by making disciples. That's how the church is built up. And at the same time, some of you are like, I I feel very much called to to hold down the line. New York City needs a lot of help. True? So make disciples here. Don't just show up to a ministry events and like, you know, volunteer at things. Make a disciple. Focus on someone's spiritual growth and say, this person has been walking with Jesus less time than me and I really feel like God's put on my heart that I need to just check in on them, care for them, help them obey all that he's commanded us and I might know more about that than them at this stage so I can help with that. 
every single one of us, if every single one of us does that, does that the church will look completely different. We all will be obeying him more. As we teach people, we ourselves learn, right? It's one of the best ways to make sure you learn something is actually teach it to someone else. So we want to be rivers, not just ponds. Jesus said, actually, let your light shine before others. But if we just scatter seed kind of wantonly and don't check in on it ever, there's going to be a lot of times we find out, well, there are people, maybe it even sprouted up, but it just needed to be watered after that. No one watered it. Or we all just go focus on, oh, what are the plants we can already water, and we don't go to the place where we actually need to make disciples that never been made before. Like apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, Ephesians 4. Every one of us is meant to be one of those, in a sense, and, but every single one of those is committed to the Great Commission in some way. The last thing I want to say too, every single one of us has a call to be involved in what God is doing to the ends of the earth. And I actually think that there's something that really I want to drive home as much as I can, that it is important for you to understand how what you're doing is involved in that role. So if you are called to stay here, understand how is it connected to the global church. Because what Jesus is saying is if we aren't obeying all that he commanded us here, it inevitably is affecting people who have not had anyone come to make a disciple of them before. So we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we teach them to obey all that he commanded us. I'll ask the worship team to come up. There's a few commissionings I want to give for people to come up for prayer today. One, if you have never believed in Jesus' death on your behalf, him taking your shame on the cross, like all the guilt of what you've done, and actually taking even the, like the powers, the spiritual powers that have ruled over your life, and taking them on himself to defeat them, and believed in that, and you want to get to know this Jesus, even if you're just curious, definitely come get prayer from someone. Also, if you're like, I think I need to be involved in the Great Commission, but I don't even know how, or I do know how, but I, I really need prayer about doing it. Come up to the front and get prayer for that. And of course, if you have general prayer requests, you're welcome to come. But those two things specifically, I want to call people up for. And then I'll pray for us. Yeah, Heavenly Father. Yeah, thank you, God, that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Jesus, we praise you that by your blood you've ransomed priests from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Lord, we want to see your return. And whether or not it's in our time, we want to prepare the way for it. So make us faithful to your commandments. Make us those who love you first. Make us those who love our neighbor as ourselves. We receive your commissioning today. Everyone just even right now, just put out your hands before God. To receive the Holy Spirit afresh. When it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's in the continual tense. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. It would just receive you right now, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Lead us into all truth. Remind us the things you taught us. Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.